Hi, this is Mark and welcome to Nerdology. And my very special guest today is none other than Mr. Mark John. Hey, Mark. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing very well, actually, um, considering. So. Yeah, we're all sort of, you know, hunkered down at the moment, all uh, trying to avoid catching the, the dreaded virus. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so uh, hopefully in years to come when you listen back to this episode it will be such a dim and distant memory that nobody will know what we're talking about <laughs> well i imagine that might happen sooner rather than well, once i, I get so. going i hope so <laughs> well hopefully we can provide a little bit of entertainment for anyone who's stuck inside looking for something to listen to for a bit anyway so when we were uh, chatting about getting an episode together, we soon discovered that uh, one thing we had in common was uh, a bit of a love of martial arts. I know, personally speaking, going back to my 20s, I think it's a bit of a guy thing, really. Um, Very much so. If there are are any girls listening who are into the martial arts, let us know. Uh, But, yeah, I think, you know, when I hit my 20s, um, I discovered things like Bruce Lee, and uh, I just got really swept up in it to the point where I just got, I was probably the most pretentious twat going uh, I bought his philosophy book and uh, oh, wow. started getting Hardcore. all the uh, the movies to watch and yeah it's funny you should say about his uh, philosophy book because what, yeah. although I didn't used to buy Bruce Lee's philosophy book one strange thing that I did when I was about um, 10 I became my my obsession started I think when I went into the library the local library where I would have been living in Watcher at the time and um, I used to get out things like uh, the Target Doctor Who novelizations um, the two Ronnie scripts um, and things um, Tintin Asterix all that sort of thing but another thing I used to do was uh, much to my mother's dismay I kept bringing home these uh, martial arts guides (laughs) (laughs) wow quite often uh, quite often I always used to go for the ones with which had loads of pictures uh, in so you could follow them I don't know why I never used to Mm. I never used to practice them in my bedroom or anything I just used to sit and I I hope that by some sort of form of osmosis just looking at the pictures (laughs) of people doing martial arts would would make me the hardest kid in um... yeah i well i think on some level i was probably uh although i was probably a good 10 years older at the time so i should have really known better uh i was probably hoping that some of uh bruce lee's wisdom and uh sort of philosophy would wash over me and i'd suddenly become this really interesting person that knew all about sort of eastern philosophy but um yeah sadly that didn't seem to happen by osmosis either. No, I, I, um, yeah, I, I, I think around about a few, a couple of years later as well, I, I started getting into ninjas. <laughs> um, ninja. yeah. I think ninja exploitation movies became quite a big thing. And um, I remember I had a book on how to be a ninja and, and it said um, one of the, the tricks, which again, I never got around to, but I always intended to. In fact, perhaps while we're in self-isolation, I should do this, um, <laughs> is to get a huge barrel, fill it full of water, and try and stand just on the edge of it, climb up just right. onto the edge of it. Then every day, take a cup of water out of the barrel and tip it away so that gradually the barrel becomes less and less stable. Mm-hmm. 
right. but because you're taking the water out of a cup at a time, you're not supposed to notice it. So that by the okay. time that the barrel's empty, you're able to just hop up onto the lip of this empty barrel and stand there. Wow. So my mum would never let me do it, unfortunately. No, um, no I think she was probably uh, very wise. I think the most embarrassing thing, far more, far worse than your um, pretensions in your 20s to become <laughs> a great philosopher, was uh, <laughs> slightly embarrassing. In, in my, <laughs> it's all right. You're amongst friends. In, 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 um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, me and my friend, uh, <laughs> who were both heavily into ninjas. Uh, <laughs> so we used to um, we <laughs> cut up some old school trousers that we had into strips. <laughs> And we'd wrap right. these strips around our heads so that our heads had sort of like these black masks <laughs> on, so just our eyes seeing through. Seeing through. And we used nice. to um, we used to go down to this little stream that was lined by with uh, that was lined with these lovely big trees, and we used to clamber up into these trees and sit there in the dark and giggle when people walking their dogs went underneath us because they couldn't see us. <laughs> we thought we were invisible. Meanwhile, these people walking their dogs, like, oh, God, those idiots are up the tree again. Yeah, I can hear them laughing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, ninjas were a thing, weren't they? I remember at secondary school, there was a whole, I think letters were sent home to say that um, students weren't allowed to bring throwing stars into school. <laughs> yes. Because that, that was a big thing for a while. Like, yeah, well, there's the whole... it now, yeah, it's, it's probably quite wise, really. The whole martial arts weapons panic, wasn't there? Along with all the other panics yeah. that we had in the early 80s about video nasties and things. But yeah, no, no shuriken, mm. no no poison darts, no nunchuckers. No. As well. You weren't even allowed to no, see nunchuckers. It's all the fun out of school, didn't it? Were you? <laughs> uh, in, in fact, um, even the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were uh, edited, weren't they? Uh, they? Oh, God, yeah, it was the Hero Turtles, wasn't it? Yes. And yes, yes, mm. they were the Hero Turtles. And one of them wasn't allowed to have his... Nunchuckers, was he? So, oh god, yeah, very sad, sad times. <sighs> Political correctness gone mad. Yep. <laughs> of course, one of the big driving things for such a, a huge interest in martial arts in the West was Enter the Dragon, which is, I think, for a lot of people, Bruce Lee's finest film. So we've both been rewatching that in preparation for for this podcast. So. What were your memories of this particular film? Is it something? Obviously, it's stayed with you for quite some time. Yeah, is it I, a, a personal favourite of yours that you've you come back to? Or yes, it is. It's a personal favourite of mine that I've. It's probably the film that I've seen most. Um, I'd say the only one that comes close to it is um, probably Live and Let Die. Probably the ah, two right, films okay. that I've seen more than any others. Mm-hmm. Um, both comfort watching and I find that um, whatever mood I'm in I can both always... from the same year as well I think uh, 73 I think they're both yes they are yeah. yeah fine year yes the same year as mm. Wicker Man as well it's another one oh, blimey, great yeah. year for films in fact um, and um, Psychomania <laughs> right. randomly <laughs> I don't know if you know that one's got Belle Reed as a, and um, uh, zombie bikers and magic frogs Oh, that sounds like a winning combination. No, I've not heard of that. Oh, oh, you must check it out. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, is it in this sort of category? It's even got a, so bad, a cameo good, from um, Sergeant Benton. Oh my god! So, yeah, John Levine. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yes. Um, 
Oh, sorry, where were we? I've got two used to being on the Diddly Dumb podcast and being allowed to just stray completely off topic. And yeah, no, sorry, I'm allowing you crap. to speak, which obviously must be quite strange for you. But, um... <laughs> Hi, Steve. I mean, uh, Doc. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, Doc. That's the one, yeah. So Enter the Dragon, yeah. I mean, what strikes me about particularly Bruce Lee is if you compare him to some of the other martial arts stars that have come through, I always felt that, um, I mean, he was an incredible martial artist. Yes. Um, but he always had this sort of intellectual, philosophical side to him. And I think he was very keen to try and show the West um, what Eastern culture was all about and he wanted to make it more mainstream and I think this is probably as close as it gets really from the movies that he made would you agree yes I definitely agree I think um I mean he's quite paradoxical isn't he Bruce Lee in in that he mm. was extremely steeped in um eastern philosophy he, he was a voracious reader and spent ages studying books on various philosophies mm-hmm. religions and yet at the same time he was incredibly um, ambitious and driven uh, he wanted to make mm. money and he wanted to be a big star which seems at yeah. odds with his um, philosophical learnings really but yeah he, I suppose he, if you think of the, the sort of time period that he was around because he died very young didn't he he was only what 32 I think when he died um, yes I think he was, yeah he was 32 yeah because he moved to America in the 60s and I mean Although it's not that long ago from where we are now, it was still, I think there was a lot of sort of institutional racism going around. Um, so it must have been quite a challenge for him to make that big leap from going, from being someone who was quite well known in, in sort of Hong Kong yeah. media to try and make it big over there in America. He was, um, I know he opened up a a school, didn't he? Um, his that's right. I yeah, think his his Jeet Kune Do was his. Yeah, uh, that was his own sort of interpretation of martial arts, mm. wasn't it? And he opened up a school in Oakland, California. I think he'd already opened one up in Seattle when he mm. first moved over. But then, then he opened one up in Oakland, California, and actually, um, he and it was open to everyone. He was mm. quite happy to um, teach whoever turned up, whatever race you were, and I think. There was uh, it caused a bit of a stir with um, back at home with the Chinese, and I mm-hmm. think they apparently they according to one of his biographies I read, um, they sent out a uh, a guy to come and close him down, and really? this guy turned up at uh, Bruce Lee's studio and was like, um, I, "I'm going to, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to." Let, let, well, basically challenged Bruce Lee to a duel, and if he was being very brave, if the Chinese guy won, well, I mean they're both Chinese guys, but uh, uh, yeah. if if the uh, guy doing the challenging had won, then uh, Bruce agreed to shut down his his school, um, and wow, of course the uh, he didn't win, Bruce did, but only just, <laughs> which um, which um, sort of encouraged him to refine his technique even more mm. and um i think i've seen it written that it was his particular take on martial arts is, has been a, like a big influence on the mixed martial arts movement that sort of really gathered 
speed in the in the sort of coming decades afterwards. Yeah, definitely, because he, um, like I said, he, he used to read and study a lot, and he did the same with martial arts. He he would study any martial art. I think the only one he wasn't particularly interested in was karate, which he mm-hmm. really looked down his nose on. But he was quite happy to sort of uh, pick bits from various other martial arts and, and put those into his take on it. Yeah, so totally. Quite a sort of magpie at yeah. grabbing those various things to make a the ultimate sort of martial art. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he used to study, I, I mean, like I say, he studied all martial arts and he'd study footage of uh, of classic boxing matches as well. Uh, apparently he, um, I mean, he was really in, he was really into Muhammad Ali and mm. just the, the speed with which somebody that big could move. I think basically he thought if, if somebody that size can move so fast and so gracefully, then mm. I should be able to learn from that and make it even more effective and mm. so yeah he'd take all these little bits and pieces he I think he um, referred to most of the traditional styles as classical and said that they mm. weren't really any good in an actual street fight because he started I mean he started learning martial arts when he got beaten up in Hong Kong at the age of 13 I think and he started learning mm-hmm. Wing Chun um but yeah, he was always adapting his style and picking bits and trying to learn. He, he wanted a fighting technique that was properly effective, that was didn't just look good for show. Mm. Yeah, I think I've read um, in one of his books that he felt that a lot of the, as you say, the sort of classical styles were a bit too set in their ways and didn't allow for any kind of um, intuitive reaction. So what he was looking for was this kind of martial arts that it was almost like he wasn't thinking it was just sort of working through him and he would just adapt as the opponent came to him and use whatever um, technique would do the job yes absolutely um, there's something you mentioned as well I want to go back to oh um, that was I think that was about the um, the institutional racism when he moved to yeah when he moved to California and when he's trying to get mm. I mean he was um trying to become a big star in television yeah. um he went so he'd done the green hornet hadn't he he'd done the he was, green uh... hornet and he I think he there's some reports that he kind of came up with the idea for kung fu the tv series yeah. so he had this thing called the warrior that he'd pitched to a couple of studios right um and then very soon after, one of those studios came out with Kung Fu, with David Carradine, I think it was. Yeah, as uh, uh, But they were adamant that they'd been working on this thing for quite some time. It was just a coincidence that uh, it was pretty much identical to yeah, what he had proposed, which, mm, take yeah. that with a pinch of salt, maybe. Yeah, indeed. I, he really struggled to get any sort of leading man parts because he was uh, well because he was Chinese and, and mm. they didn't think that a Chinese man was going to uh, was going to be accepted as a, as a lead over there well I think that's why Enter the Dragon is such a game changer because that was I think I'm right in saying that's the first time that Golden Harvest who was the really big yeah uh, movie company in Hong Kong had teamed up with Warner Brothers mm-hmm. um, and that really was the beginning of the transition to making this kind of movie a mainstream movie rather than something that was a, a sort of a cult that people kind of picked up and latched onto. This was 
big bucks. I mean, uh, I can't remember the the exact figures, but I know it did incredibly well. Yeah, it, for um, for on... what it cost to make, because I think it was about half a million dollars, um, mm. which was a budget, which is apparently the equivalent of one episode of a of your run of the mill Hollywood TV series at the time. Mm-hmm. So it was incredibly cheap, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and also, I mean, I think he put a lot of pressure on on Bruce as well because he. Um, I think personally, for me, where he really came into his own as a star of a, a movie like that was that not only was he he had that charisma about him mm. that made him that kind of leading man, but also the technical side of things because he would arrange all the the fights and he was effectively yes. directing the yeah, majority well, of his later movies he'd he'd done he not long i mean he did um about four movies i think in about 13 months or something mm-hmm. which was um all the way from big boss fist of fury way of the dragon where he yeah uh, way of the dragon i think he he wrote it directed it and um and did all the fight arranging for it mm-hmm. um and then he started making game of death which yeah Never got finished. So obviously. am I right in saying I think he started making that and then he got the offer to do Enter the Dragon, so they agreed to put yeah. that on hold yeah, while exactly. he went off to do Enter the Dragon. And then of course sadly events took a turn for the worse and uh, he died before they could complete Game of Death, which is yeah. incredibly sad. Yeah, it is very sad. So especially if you've uh, have you watched Game of Death? I have. It's it's painful, really. I think it is, isn't it? It's just uh, I can understand for a, in one respect why they felt they wanted to do it, but I just uh, I don't know. I just feel like it's it's if they just finished with Enter the Dragon, I think that's the perfect way to finish out his story, really. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to be able to see those fights, especially the ones uh, with uh, what's he called uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, yeah, yeah. the uh, basketball player, wasn't he? Mm. Um, he was a student of Bruce Lee's, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes. He, well, um, was it, I don't know. He, he, I think I saw an interview with him where he said he'd only done boxing before he, oh, okay. he turned up, and uh, Bruce pretty much taught him over the space of um, ten days to do some martial arts for the film. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's nice to see those fragments, but it's it's um, yeah. The film. I mean, now with hindsight, because we we have you know blu-ray and dvd it's all very well to say oh well you know you could have just had those as a dvd extra but obviously at that time in the 70s we didn't have sell through no. vhs to any great degree and we didn't have dvd or all that kind of stuff so they had this footage they had a, a big name um and i guess they wanted to cash in and get their money back that they laid out on the the budget for the film i suppose yeah yeah, and like I say, it would have been a delight for fans of Bruce Lee just to be able to see the new fight scenes. So, mm. um, but yes, um, yeah, it doesn't really work. Um, no. And the other guys they put in are very obviously not Bruce Lee. No, <laughs> uh, there's <laughs> some guy stood behind a cardboard cutout of Bruce Lee at one point <laughs> talking. Um, it's if I remember correctly, which I, I don't often. Mm. I haven't <laughs> so, seen it for a very long time. I no, I, I haven't. It's not one I, I, I go back to. Um, no. Enter the Dragon. I just think everything about it is... 
and it screams the 1970s, doesn't it? Yes. Oh, yeah, it's superb. And, of course, you've got that amazing score by Lalo Schifrin. Oh, Lalo Schifrin. opens the whole thing up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Adore brilliant. Lalo Schifrin anyway. He's, um, he did, uh, he's done some amazing work, if you look over his thing. I mean, the Mission mm. Impossible thing, how much yeah. how much money must that have earned him? I know, um, it's quite, crazy, isn't it? Quite rightly as well. Bullet's in fact, another favourite of mine as well. Uh, apparently, Bruce, one of the reasons Bruce Lee wanted Lalo Schifrin involved in the film was because he used to practice to the rhythm of the... Uh, he used to put on the Mission Impossible theme in the background and practice to the rhythm oh, of it. Oh, right. So, yeah. Oh, that's um, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Nice. Um, but yeah, Lalo Schifrin's marvellous. I, I, um, I used to have a wonderful vinyl copy of an album that had um, loads of the Mission Impossible music on it, and it was just oh. incredible. Um, and it had um, the Danube incident, which is okay. the tune that's sampled by Portishead for Sour Times. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. So if you listen to that, I mean, pretty much Sour Times is almost all Lalo Schifrin. <laughs> right, yeah. So. Yeah, it's got that sound to it, hasn't it? Mm. And uh, nice. oh, he did Bullet as well, didn't he? Lalo Schifrin. Yeah, just... no, that's a great, great soundtrack. And the Dirty Harry themes as well. Mm-hmm. Well, he did. Um, I know it's probably sacrilege to mention them um, in the same sort of breath as Enter the Dragon, but he did the the Rush Hour um, soundtracks as well. Oh right. Oh cool. Which I I find quite fun. I know they're a bit sort of kung fu light but i i think they're a lot of fun yeah well they've got their place haven't they i think um yeah yeah i think i mean i think we should talk about those sort of things a little bit later or yeah yeah so getting back to enter the dragon mm. you get the sort of um the setup where bruce gets the uh the talk through about the the bad guy mr han which and, is really uh, setting up the story yeah nicely done because it explains why you can't have guns on the island which is one of their yeah. big problems because obviously in a martial arts film if somebody's just got a revolver as in um raiders of the lost ark they can just shoot mm-hmm. you dead can't they yeah so. yeah <laughs> so you got that sort of element and then you get introduced one by one to this cast of characters and i i think the the casting was brilliant oh yeah um well, yes john saxon as um, yeah. Roper, and my favourite uh, of the entire film, and just one of the coolest men ever, is you're going to say um, Jim Kelly, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going to say Jim Kelly. It's Jim <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> yeah. He's just oh, he's wonderful. I absolutely yeah. adore him. Every scene he's in is absolutely superb. Do you know, mm-hmm. If I've got one gripe about this film, yeah, um, it's the fact that initially it was. John Saxon's Roper, who was supposed to be killed by Han. Okay. And John Saxon said, uh, nah, if you want me to be in this film, I'm going to have to be... I, I want equal billing with Bruce Lee, which he gets, because it's their mm-hmm. names together at the start of the yeah. film. And he said, oh, "And uh, you can kill off one of the other characters, you're not killing me off. So, so poor old um, Jim Kelly gets in the neck. So poor old Jim Kelly gets... yeah." Killed halfway through the film, which absolutely breaks mm. my heart. It's <laughs> yeah. so good, especially. Nah, such a shame. I mean, his intro as well. I particularly love when he's just uh, he's just left his local dojo, and yeah. I think he's heading. Well, he's I think he's heading off to the tournament anyway, isn't he? And mm. he's got yeah. um, he's, and uh, these 
redneck racist coppers pull over. Yeah, and, that's right. And um, <laughs> and they're quite abusive to him. And they find out that he's got a plane ticket going to um, Hong Kong via Hawaii. And they're like, yeah, you, you ain't going to Hawaii. And then he just he just beats the crap out of them, <laughs> yeah. steals their car. And takes the car and then and and, oh, <laughs> and funnily enough, drives off in the opposite direction to the one in which he was walking. <laughs> drives back the way he'd already been. But, you know, whatever. No, yeah. he's a great character. I think all of them come out really well. Um, oh, yeah, Roper is that kind of slimy character. You kind of love to hate him. Um, but yeah, he's um, he kind of comes good in the end, I suppose. Roper, yes. Well, um, I, I, I love There's that bit where he's on a rickshaw and he goes past the camera and then t- I think it's three more rickshaws go past that are all carrying his luggage. <laughs> like <laughs> 20 suitcases. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, and... I'd, Again, sorry. How about Jim Kelly? I don't think anyone looks cooler than Jim Kelly does when he's he's, mm. he's uh, sat on that little boat heading towards the uh, yeah the, the the ship that they're going to get on to go to the island and uh, and that the only thing I can really pick out that annoyed me at the time I don't I just kind of find it quite funny now but of course as a twenty year old you want to find every take everything very seriously yeah. and uh, you don't want to be laughing at anything is the uh, the guy on the junk as they're going across the island. Oh is it, uh, the, the, new, the guy sure. from New Zealand. Yeah, oh that's but, where he's from, is it? Yeah, I'm well, that's where sure they where say he's, he's from, from, but then he appears to talk like um, Milo Clancy. Yeah, his accent is all over the shop. Yeah, um, uh, it's called Parker, a fun scene. that guy, I think, because obviously everyone's known by their surnames for some reason. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's a fun scene where he ends up on the... Uh, he gets chucked off, doesn't he? And yeah, the art of fighting up. without fighting. Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then Bruce Lee hands over the rope, so there's this little... There's this, uh, um, yeah, there's, there's, yeah. Basically, Parker was a terrible bully, wasn't he? He was beating up a load yeah. of people and, and bullying the the staff on the, on the boat. And um, Bruce Lee basically tricks him into this little boat, which uh, is sinking as well. Uh, the actor mm. wasn't too pleased about it, apparently. So, I think am I right in because my memory is a bit dodgy from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, when they make it to the island, I think yeah. they hold off letting Bruce do his stuff for a while, don't they, to begin with, because they've got them all down to do their sort of yes. exercises and they all have to wear the appropriate uniform. And, of course, he doesn't wear it because he's too cool to wear their dodgy stuff. Yeah. But I think it just helps to build up the tension because you're expecting him to go in there and start beating the crap out of people, and he doesn't. <laughs> just... No. So that no. just sort of ramps it up a bit more, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, they do. Um, oh, you, before we get to the island, though, there's also the mm. um, we, we get the flashbacks, uh, as I said about. Oh um, yeah, Williams is already. Mm-hmm. Um, Roper's gone there because he owes money, and yeah. um, obviously Bruce has gone there. But you also get a flashback from uh, where before they head to the island, where somebody tells Bruce what happened to his sister, and basically yeah. Hans' main henchman, uh, Ahara. Um, and a bunch of his goons uh, chased Bruce's uh, 
His character's called Lee, isn't it? So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, chased Lee's sister down once and um, who's played by um, Angela Mao, I think that's it, isn't it? And uh, okay, she's an amazing yeah. little martial artist. She's really mm. great watching her scenes oh, yeah. beating up these these goons. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but unfortunately they trap her and rather than take whatever punishment's coming to her, which I... Yeah, you don't have to really be Sherlock Holmes to figure out what they're going to do, do you? No, a room full of um, seedy-looking men. And, yeah, so she commits suicide rather than that. Yeah. Um, So, doesn't it? In fact, that's a horror, I think, is Bruce Lee's first fight on the island, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Mm. uh, He was played by uh, Bob Wall, Mm. who was actually an old friend of... Bruce's and there's in that scene there's a bit where he smashes the two where um, Ahara smashes two bottles together but um, Mm -hmm. on the island of Hong Kong they don't use sugar glass they don't have it so it was real bottles wow (laughs) uh, they did about (laughs) 10 takes (laughs) so Jesus uh, and yeah which if you think about the fact that that guy gets so poor Bob Wall gets a flying kick to the chest from Bruce Lee about 10 Mm -hmm. times it's uh, yeah, it's quite hardcore, yeah. quite heavy going, mm. and um, I think with at one point, um, Bob Wall has got the one of the broken bottles in his hand, and he's he's supposed to lash out, and and Bruce has said to him, you know, really go for me in this scene, and he does, mm-hmm. he really goes for Bruce, slashing at him with this broken bottle, and um, yeah. he actually managed to cut Bruce's fist. So, God, yes, um, didn't go down. Yeah, when you see. I mean, it does seem to be, maybe it's because of they were of a time, and they tend to take things a bit more carefully these days with insurance and what have you. But um, that does seem to be a, a running theme with martial arts movies made in Hong Kong that they um, they're not afraid to let their leading actors get into all sorts of scrapes and injure themselves no, in order to create the perfect shot. Yeah, so it's um, yes, it's it's no wonder that that I mean I think Bruce uh, well not only that but I mean not only was Bruce at risk of uh, injury from stunts and and from mm. the actual fights that were happening on screen, he was um, he was constantly being challenged by people on on set in between takes. Oh, like people would <laughs> people would walk up to him and uh, <laughs> and because he's become the you know the big star he's the king now i guess and everyone's trying to take his crown so you know it's like being the, the fastest gun in the west everyone wants to mm. beat you and yeah between yeah. takes you get these young guys going up to go i can take you and they tap their foot in front of bruce three times which apparently was uh um the chinese way to challenge him and mm. uh he tried to ignore them but sometimes it, uh, they they just would persist, and he'd have to beat them up. Unfortunately, it's not going to end well, is it? No, <laughs> you no. know there's only going to be one winner. No, it, well, uh, also a lot of those extras were like triads. Oh God! Right, okay. So because they, you know, <laughs> they they wanted to earn money, and uh, there was money to be made. Yeah. Um, uh, and apparently, a lot of the women were um, that they got to play Hans family and various prostitutes mm-hmm. and things were actual real life prostitutes oh right okay 
because yeah, they were the only. In fact, apparently they, <laughs> apart from Bruce, I think they were the highest paid members of the cast mm. because they were on something like one hundred and fifty dollars a day. And, right. Uh, whereas uh, people like um, Angela Mao, who played Bruce's sister, were on mm. sort of like uh, uh, two hundred dollars for two days shooting or something. Right. So, um, what a difference. Yes, and so. Yeah, and uh, that's another cool thing about Enter the Dragon is it's not just lots of fights. There's the whole kind of um, espionage, kind of spy element to it as well, which I really like. It's totally James Bond, isn't it? It's very James oh, Bond influence. Yeah. Uh, what, what I love about it is the fact that um, James Bond repaid the favor the following year, didn't it, with the Man with the yeah. Golden Gun? <laughs> yeah. So very much so. Yeah, mm. very much so. But you've got all those the great scenes like where he has to um, sneak out. In the middle of the night, yeah. Again, Lelo Schifrin score, uh, yeah. which sounds so good when he, yeah, when he's in his dark blue like yeah. outfit for going out at night with his little bag with his rope in. Yeah. Um, apparently, one of those. Uh, I think the scene where Bruce is running is going back, and William sees him and says, "Oh, a human fly." Yeah. Apparently, that's Jackie Chan, not oh. Bruce. So, okay, yeah. Um, Jackie Chan's also the the guy who gets his I think he's two guards in the underground fight um, mm-hmm. particularly you notice him more when he gets his neck snapped I think yeah mm-hmm. so, um, yeah early appearance for him yes indeed um, yeah but the espionage stuff is wonderful it's, it's uh, I mean it's it's so classic the the um, the underground base on an island yeah and they're manufacturing so Bond, heroin <laughs> and uh <laughs> and the um sort of kind of doctor no style bad guy almost um yeah he's played by um, that guy was over 60 <laughs> and he, he's really good isn't he he's he's really good although he's i think he's a veteran of like over 800 martial arts films so wow he's had a bit of practice but yeah, yeah, he put in his time. Not yeah. bad for a pensioner. No. <laughs> I wouldn't want to get in a fight with him, that's for sure. Right. So they, they have those little um, moments that kind of give you a bit of an inkling that he is a bit handy. Pardon mm-hmm. the pun. Uh, <laughs> so you, you go through his... Um, oh, it's like a sort of torture chamber sort of museum isn't it where he's got all these random claws and things and you think oh okay that's a bit weird yeah and watching it the first time through and then of course that comes into its own when they have the big face off the end. yeah there's that that one that's um i think rope at one point says what's this and it's just a skeletal yeah yeah it's just well it's just bones of a hand basically isn't it yeah it's like, mm-hmm. i don't know <laughs> who knows what that is <laughs> but well actually i think by then we've probably got an inkling haven't we because he's sadly mm-hmm. he's uh already dispatched Jim Kelly by that point yeah yeah um, oh Jim Kelly gets one of my favourite lines as well uh, mm. which is bullshit Mr. Hair Man <laughs> you're straight <laughs> out of a comic book ah <laughs> oh, so 70s yeah yeah delightful That's so cool mm. yeah yeah no I think um, when you get to that final showdown that's another 
it's very Bond and it's very 70s. It's kind of psychedelic. The whole thing with the um, the maze of mirrors and that kind of oh, element yeah. to it, I think, is just filmically, it's really good. You know, it's um, really ramped up the tension and the whole thing of him trying to find him. And yeah, I think that's it really plays out really well. Yeah, the whole cinematography by Gilbert Hubbs is absolutely gorgeous all the way through. Like, like you, I mean, like we say, all, all the way from those opening shots. Uh, of mm. of them arriving at the island, um, a lot of the aerial stuff. Oh, did you you know the Ma- the Shaolin master at the beginning who's talking to to Bruce Lee? Yeah. Um, and he's he had a pilot's license and he flew the plane for all the aerial shots. Oh wow! So yeah, a bit of trivia. Um, but yeah, yeah from those information, from <laughs> yeah, from those opening shots of everyone arriving all the way through to that incredible mirror scene at the end. Just think some of the cinematography's um, incredible, really. uh, They only had two cameras and three lenses, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, ridiculous. Incredible, isn't it, really, when you think about it these days? Yeah. And um, the whole thing looks amazing as well, like the the banquet room and stuff, and all Mm. those, um, and um, like you said, Hans, Han, yeah, Han's museum yeah. is um, looks amazing, and all most of that stuff is built out of chicken wire and mud mm-hmm. because they yeah. um, they couldn't afford to buy props, and it turned out that um, actually it was a lot cheaper to employ manual labour than to actually buy any scenery. So mm. that, uh, they didn't even have wooden poles; they basically got God. got the manual labour to make wooden make these wooden poles out of um, mud and chicken wire stuff. It's crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the, the set was completely falling to bits by the end of it. They had to be really careful in yeah, the underground scene because uh, the walls were falling apart. So um, none of the actors could be... Uh, they had to be careful not to knock anyone into any of the scenery, otherwise it would just collapse. Mm, that sounds very Doctor Who. <laughs> yes, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> No, I think it's uh, it's a great movie. It still stands up. Obviously, it's a little bit dated because it's it's nineteen seventy three and you know yeah. the fashion and uh, but I think that's all part of the charm of it. I think it's uh, incredibly enjoyable. Well, I I love uh, that era um, anyway. I think I just love. Uh, I mean, very much into the music. Very much into. Mm-hmm. I, I like. I I enjoy the odd black exploitation movie as well, and uh, so uh-huh. you know, the music, the look, the feel of it. It's all just. Um, it's very much in my wheelhouse as uh, <laughs> as uh, Americans And I think it say. sets things up really for what comes after. I think it's the first real breakout um, commercial hit that I can think of anyway. Yeah, um, I'd say it definitely was. There'd be no, um, you know, even Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris came along after, and then, um, you know, Steven Seagal. Mm-hmm. Um John Claude Van Damme and all that sort of thing, and obviously, yeah, um, and Jackie Chan as well, who, who who benefited from it because when I think when Bruce was at Golden Harvest under Raymond Chow, I think he started um, he changed the industry forever by mm. demanding better wages, by ref- um, insisting on having a say in the scripts, by doing the fight arranging by mm-hmm. doing some of the direction. Um, and once Bruce had done that, 
obviously everyone else wanted to do that. It, um, yeah, but the thing was, though, I mean, yes, he probably didn't he became very unpopular with friends the, by insisting oh. on, you know, doing all the fight arranging, but you can't argue that the stuff that he arranges looks so realistic and quite, uh, I don't know, it just really snaps when yeah. you see someone make contact, whereas you watch some of the sort of stuff that came before mm. and it's very obviously, you know, people are pulling punches, but it doesn't, the way he gets the angles and the way it's edited, it just looks really dynamic. Yes, I, mean, I think um, the China, a lot of the sort of martial arts cinema um, around China at the time, uh, well, before this was kind of jokey and and unrealistic, wasn't it? it mm. You know, they were mm. quite happy to have people floating along on wires doing ridiculously mm. outrageous and unbelievable flying kicks. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I think it's mm. a beautiful piece of film. Oh yeah, uh, but it's it's very much a different beast from you know some of the what I really consider to be the the really the best martial arts stuff. You mentioned about Jackie Chan. And yeah, we had a bit of a chat while we were getting things together to do this episode, and you were wanting a few recommendations, and um, and I suggested Police Story. So. Was it the first time you'd seen that? Yes, first time I've seen Police Story. Yeah, and, and what did you make of it? Well, <laughs> do you know what? It's a strange beast. Uh, at first, I was like, I watched the first 10 minutes of it, uh, mm. like really quite kind of straight action, like very mm-hmm. sort of, you know, there's nothing funny about it. It all seems very serious and very full on. And then yeah. <laughs> it just... And and the, there's some amazing stunts. The, the the cars driving through that little oh village. Oh my god, it's insane, isn't it? It is. Like four or five cars all driving through this little village with random explosions yeah. going off um, <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> I guess it's those gas bottles we saw earlier in the yeah yeah that'd be it. in the um, film. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's an amazing chase which involves. Um, Jackie Chan oh, running down the side of a mountain and 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 having a standoff with a bus, which is yeah. Uh, that he pinches he pinches that lady's umbrella and then uses it to scale the side of the bus whilst it's yes yes along at some rate of knots yeah and he's just flying around on the, it's incredible and and he does all his own stunts doesn't he well in fact he yeah. again he's another person who writes directs and stars and does all the stunts and arrangements doesn't he he had his own stunt team as well didn't he he had his whole sort of group of people who is almost like a family to him right Uh, they're all his people who do the stunts yeah and so you've got all this incredibly impressive action kind of admittedly quite incredible looking but fairly straight sort of action and then Mm. (laughs) it it seems to sort of suddenly go (laughs) off on a completely different it suddenly turns into a into a comedy, this romantic and comedy. And that's what I love about Jackie Chan movies. Um, um, the ones that I've seen, anyway. I mean, I'm, I'm sure some of the the earlier ones are a bit more serious and po-faced. I don't know. I I, I remember seeing Drunken Master um, quite a mm. long time ago, and which I think is one of his early ones. And um, yeah, that was still quite comedic. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, Bruce Lee. There were elements of humour in there. But um, especially in his earlier Jackie films, Chan. is that bit where he uh, is it in um, uh, is it in the 
Big Boss where he punches someone who stood next to a barn and they go mm. through the wall of through the wooden wall of the barn and they've left <laughs> like a cutout of a human shape. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, which is strange because I, th- I think in the same film he slices someone's head in half with a yeah no with a carpentry saw. <laughs> so, but I love that about Jackie Chan the fact that he is this I think he is the sort of ultimate action hero you can keep all your Jason Stathams and mm. Bruce Willis and all of those I think yeah. Jackie Chan is just I think he's got everything he is uh, he's got the charisma he's yes. not afraid to make himself look stupid for a, a good laugh in a film I think um, he's got warmth that Bruce Lee yeah. doesn't have I think Bruce Lee yeah. has humour and charisma, um, mm. but I think there's a warmth to Jackie Chan that yeah. you just don't get from someone quite as intense as Bruce Lee, and mm. I, and that's quite nice. He seems like you imagine going down the pub with Bruce Lee would be quite hard <laughs> going, whereas you can imagine yeah. going down the pub with Jackie Chan would just be hilarious. Oh my god, it'd be a riot, wouldn't it? Yeah. And you mentioned about the the bus chase mm. and the fact he he scales this sort of hill and comes down the other side to be in front of the bus when it's coming down the hill and he stood there with a a pistol yeah. trying to stop the bus yeah. and it slams the brakes on and these guys come hurtling out of the glass on the front yeah. of the bus amazing and they drop right from the top yeah. all the way down to the ground there's no kind of no padding or anything you see them go all the way down. Yeah, you think, Christ, they must really hurt themselves. I mean, that's did you one of the things. The, that... Did you see the outtakes at the end of the movie? Yeah, yeah. When the credits run, they show loads yeah. of outtakes of, of people injuring themselves. You see him; they're doing a the take of the, the bus, <laughs> yeah. and yes. he's he has to step out of the way because yeah. this thing is yeah. he's trying to stop. He's going at such a rate of knots, and he flattens him. And he does, yeah, he does step out of the way literally at the last second, doesn't he? Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> oh, it's brilliant! It's just for pure spectacle, I think they are mm. so much fun. Really are. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed the, um, the the bit in the because uh, um, he 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 does clowning very well as well, doesn't he? He's mm-hmm. he's famous. I mean, he's he's, he's kind of like a kind of Chaplin esque Buster Keatonish kind of figure in, at times, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, and he you uh, said that I. Do you remember a comedy actor, a comedian called Ken Campbell? He's mm, quite big sure. in the seventies. He's uh, probably his most sort of mainstream thing was he's a character in one of the episodes of Faulty Towers. Okay. Um, uh, but um, if you see him, you might know who he is because he's cropped up in lots of stuff from the seventies. Right. Um, he did a really crazy stage version of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which oh. had. All sorts of weird and wonderful stuff. And his... Was that the one where they had the floating audience? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And Ken Campbell's Roadshow was one of the things that Sylvester McCoy, who then went on to become Doctor Who, right, uh, yeah. he made his name in that by putting ferrets down his trousers. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, getting back to Ken Campbell, there's a video, I must look it up. If I can find it, this was years ago, I watched this, so it might not still be there, but if I can find it, I'll put a link in the show notes. And I'm, if I remember correctly, he's talking about where he went to a seance and he managed to speak to the spirit of Charlie Chaplin. Wow. And he asked Charlie Chaplin who the greatest living actor is today. And he says, Jackie Chan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great, uh, <laughs> great story. And Ken Campbell is a very um, 
unusual character, very, very strange chap, but um, very funny. Mm. Yeah, you, you just made me think of that when you <laughs> mentioned it. <laughs> but no, I think it's, that film uh, is a real standout for me of his stuff. I love the Rush Hour movies too, although they're obviously he's that bit older, so he still gets involved, but perhaps not quite to the extent that he does in the in the early films. But and there's the whole standoff at the end um, where. They're having the fight in the shopping mall. Do you remember that? Oh God, yes, yeah, yeah. It's um, and it's just scene after scene of people getting chucked through glass like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if they've got sugar glass in Hong Kong by that time or not. I don't, I do I'd like to so. think so by this point, but geez. Yeah, there's a, there's a hell of a lot they of weren't gl- glass back, flying around, isn't there? Um, yeah, and people. Yeah, he he gets uh, his head thrown into a. Yeah, into a window, smash as well, up against he? a plate glass window. Yeah. Oh, and, I mean, it's even in close-ups. So you can see it's like mm. definitely him. I mean, we all know he does his own <laughs> stunts anyway. But yeah, 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 shocking. But um, yes, yeah, some of the romantic comedy <laughs> bits were a bit weird, though. Um, yeah, that's. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's a real dick to his girlfriend. Yeah, oh God, the poor woman. What she has to go through. Yeah, and there were. She starts driving away on a moped. <laughs> and he yeah. runs out, grabs her off this moped, pulls her back, yeah. so, and the moped shoots out. She lands on the floor. It's yeah. like wow, it's the domestic abuse. It's, yeah, uh, uh, but yeah, well. I don't know if it comes across, but the um, his direct boss in the film mm. is his uncle Bill. So he gets referred to as Uncle Bill, and uh, oh. as the films un- unravel, it becomes more and more obvious that they're family and. Right, what have you? So uh, I think they do. There is a line about um, when he, he's trying to plead with the uh, the super to um, go easy on him because he's yeah. been accused of murdering an inspector, <laughs> and he says, "Well, you know, I, something along the lines of, well, you know, I know why you're asking me to do this, but um, yeah, that's like a recurring thing. But yeah, his poor girlfriend." What she goes because she gets beaten up in the um, yeah. Well, he, he the tells her to go. And, she gets chucked out. He he says to her, "Go and grab that brief. Uh, um, go and <laughs> yeah. grab that uh, briefcase or whatever it is that, that's got the evidence yeah. in it." And she, she gets says, chucked down a moving escalator. Why are you telling <laughs> telling your girlfriend to do that? And yeah, she gets thrown down this escalators and beaten up. <laughs> Good yeah. lord! Oh, uh, uh, crazy. Yeah, oh, there's some amazing stunts in in that shopping mall though. Um, I there's mean, that, that guy final gets one. thrown down between the escalators. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> slides down, and, yeah. uh, and then there's that huge leap towards the end, isn't it? That uh, Jackie Chan mm. does, where he grabs onto some pole that's got loads of well, lighting. The, before that, he it. jumps onto a moving escalator from a hell of a height. I don't oh know yeah, what he was thinking there? They, they show him. <laughs> Sort of testing it out with a load of people still around at the bottom, but even so, that's. But yeah, like you say, that's. I mean, he was obviously very proud of that jump yes, down the hole proud because they show it off from so many different angles, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, I think it's shown about four times, isn't it? <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. then, uh, and then you you get another couple of times at the, during the credits as well, just for good measure. Yeah, he obviously hurt himself quite badly on that because he's lying down and there's all these people around him and they're kind of. Looking quite concerned, mm. um, but um, yeah, yeah. You wonder yeah, how, how long it Good takes fun. to film these things because he must injure himself quite badly. And you think, how mm. long is he in hospital before he he's back doing more stunts? Well, yeah. I mean, the whole you mentioned about Buster Keaton before mm. he used to do all of his stunts back yeah. in the um, silent era, and there's an occasion where he's 
I forget. I got a feeling it was cops, but I could be misremembering. But there's a, a movie where he's being chased here, there, and everywhere, and um, he ends up hanging from um, the sort of water dispensing bit of a water tower on a train track, and uh, yeah, he yeah. is he drops down onto the train track below, and at that point, without knowing it, he's broken his back. And it wasn't until like 20 years later where he has to have like a standard medical for some job that he's going to do. And they said, oh, yeah, so when when did you break your back? And he's like, um, didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, Well, that beats um, Stuart Pearce, who (laughs) I think when he's playing for West Ham broke his leg in the first half. And um, at half time, he was trying to run it off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's so Stuart Pearce, isn't it? Yeah. So have you got any other sort of martial arts movies that you really hold in high regard? Um, yeah, one of the first, one of the ones that I watched um, that was an 18, because obviously the more violent they are, the better when you're younger. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I would have been about 13 or 14 when I got to see this. Uh, used to go, my friend used to live in a village and there was a garage there that had a rack of videos for hire and they weren't too mm-hmm. fussy about who hired what. So, um, so yeah, we used to go and um, we used to go and get all sorts of (laughs) films out. Uh, um, I'll I'll leave most of them to your imagination, but um, we (laughs) one of them was um, one of them was Shogun Assassin. Okay, uh, which actually was I think was it's it's based on a Japanese story called Lone Wolf and Cub. Okay, Um, and basically, there's a guy who gets he is a samurai uh, who gets disgraced and he's got a young boy and uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's got um, a line in it that's one of my favourite lines um, for martial arts cinema and it, it shows what a uh, hard ass parent this <laughs> this uh, <laughs> samurai is because he has to go on the run but he's got this kid and so he says to him he puts he basically puts this baby down who can only just about crawl and this baby sat there looking at him and, and he puts a sword down on the ground and a ball. Uh, I think this has been sampled by Wu-Tang Clan. And he, he, says, right. he says to the baby, choose the sword and you will join me. Choose the ball and you join your mother in death. You don't understand <laughs> my words, but you must choose. Come boy, <laughs> choose life or death. <laughs> and uh. fortunately, the little baby crawls towards the sword. So well, there's a stroke of luck. Yeah, it is really because um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he carries this uh, kid. This kid starts growing a bit older, and um, and for some reason, this samurai is on the run. I can't remember the exact story now, but he's on the run. He's constantly Probably being for killing children. I would imagine by... for picking up a ball. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's on the run from social services, and they're sending <laughs> out all their best ninjas and assassins to kill him. <laughs> and uh, he, he he basically goes across Japan with this uh, kid in his car and. Uh, uh, blades come out of the wheels of the car and stuff and uh, so he can nice. he can push the kid <laughs> into his enemies <laughs> and chop their ankles off and it's very Lovely. violent lots of uh, lots of fountains of blood um lots of swords and uh that was a great one yeah shogun assassin <laughs> <laughs> i highly recommend it if you like some really um over the top um violent martial arts one of the things I have to say, one of the things that <laughs> that got me into martial arts as well when I was younger was definitely was video games. My friend had uh, me and my friend yeah. spent 
years, well, it felt like years, playing um, Way of the Exploding Fist on his Commodore oh, 64. Oh, that was a great game. Yeah. And so. And did you ever play something called International Karate? Oh, oh. Because that was like the next level on again from that. And um, they had a version called IK Plus, and you could have three players at the same <sighs> time, and it was great fun. And you had all those sort of authentic. Uh, sort of Hong Kong movie sound effects. Oh, brilliant. When they're sort of No, I don't think we did. And... I, I remember playing three-player oh, on um, Dragon on the Sega Mega Drive, which was... Oh, Dragon okay, was yeah. a film that came out starring Jason... Oh, yeah, the Bruce Lee biopic, yeah. Jason... Jason Lee. Jason Lee, was it? Yeah. Why did I want to say Jason Scott Lee? Oh, maybe it was. Oh, I don't know. I'm going from my memory. I haven't watched it for a long time now. Oh, is, yeah. that, is, is Jason Scott Lee somebody who used to be in Steps or something? <laughs> oh, I don't know. They're very easily confused. So many Lees. Um, <laughs> it's not Jet Lee, I know that. Yeah, no, it's not. No, anyway, yeah, um, Dragon was, was this great game that was based on yeah. this biopic of Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. And um, so you got to beat up the... Uh, friend of mine was... Uh, was an absolute specialist at beating up the fat chefs uh, who attacked you. Um, And the game would, the last level of the game would be Bruce Lee overcoming, I think it was death itself or something. This, Yeah, well, there's a thing in the film, isn't there, where he's being chased by death. Yeah, and it was, I'm pretty sure it was impossible. None of us could ever do it. So we we never Mm. finished the game. Which is very sad. Um, oh, and then I thought Tekken... you were going to say that you uh, he he gets killed, and then you get a new character that's supposed to be him, but looks slightly not quite the same as him. And you get a jumpsuit <laughs> with a, a stripe down the side. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh, oh too, soon. too soon. Too soon. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, um, sorry. Sorry, Bruce fans. <laughs> <coughs> Tekken Two uh, was the next game that I got that was a oh, big fighting yeah, fantastic. game, and that had. Um, that basically had Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan in it, didn't it? I think. Yes, that's right. I yeah. think uh, Bruce Lee character was was that Martial Law. And yes, I Jackie think you're Chan right, yeah. was he Leo Long? <laughs> was that his character? Oh, they were great games. I can't remember now, but they were great games. Yeah, me and yeah, my mates after we uh, come back from a big night out would quite often um, be sat on it until four or five a.m. in the morning, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. beating the crap out of each other. Yeah, good oh, times. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're going to go for a commercial break now, and when we come back, I'll be asking Mark for his recommendations. Somewhere on planet Earth, a scientist creates the ultimate machine. At last! A machine that will give him the power to journey into the mega world with thousands of colors, 16 bit graphic technology, and 10 channel mega stereo sound. The most advanced video game system in the universe. Yes! Mega Drive from Sega. And welcome back. So we've got to that part of the show where I'm going to ask Mark for some recommendations for our listeners. What have you got for us, Mark? Well, I've needed um, a bit of cheering up lately, as have most people. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Yeah, right. I have um, recently finished reading two books by... William Cook. The first is called Tragically I Was an Only Twin, The Complete Peter okay. Cook. And the second is Goodbye Again, The Definitive Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. They're basically scripts 
and transcripts of a lot of these sketches that they've done on you know from early days from uh, the Peter Cook one goes from the early days of stuff he did at Cambridge and some of the stuff he wrote for Mm. Kenneth Williams shows oh wow all the way through I mean the Peter Cook book goes all the way through to um, Peter Cook talks golf balls (laughs) and (laughs) some of his um, sports writing that he did for the Daily Mail I believe Um, all right and uh, oh and I think finishes mostly on um, uh transcripts of when Peter Cook was at home bored and he'd phone up his local radio station and <laughs> pretend to be uh, Sven, a Norwegian who lives in Swiss Cottage and um, is obsessed with fish. And um, yeah, he used to phone up anonymous, anonymously for a long time. They didn't realise it was Peter Cook phoning up. Um, yeah, these late night phone-ins that he nice. used to join in with when he was bored. Um, <laughs> and scripts of all the stuff he did with Chris Morris, um, why bother? Oh, I don't wow. know if you've heard that. No, I bet that's incredible. Oh, it's just Ray J Four stuff, and it's it's basically Chris Morris in his um, TV presenter guys interviewing mm-hmm. Sir Arthur Street Greebling about <laughs> his life, and it's absolutely wonderful. And if you know the and um, the the Peter Cook and Dudley Moore one is very similar, mm-hmm. and it's basically these scripts. Um, but they're interspersed with um, some light biography, so telling oh, you nice. about what they kind were. Kind of breaks it up a bit. Up to yeah, um, and I found, especially if you're a big fan of uh, Cook and Moore, I, I find like, <laughs> I almost feel myself going into the critics. I think with Cook and Moore, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but since that's a Derek and Clive sketch, I won't carry on. Um, <laughs> But reading the, the, the scripts, if you if you're familiar with the sketches themselves, you, it's uh, it's amazing how um, your head does its very own YouTube, and you can almost see them or, or hear them. Yeah, and you can it's, hear the dialogue. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's just, I just I I I almost woke my flatmate up the other night when I was laughing so loudly <laughs> after reading about um, Peter Cook as Clive wanting to kill off all the endangered species and complaining about <laughs> whales. <laughs> swimming around it all day in the sea sucking in plankton and <laughs> they're such c**ts they can't even breathe under the water they have to keep coming up and spouting all the time um, so things like yeah <laughs> things like that um, so I highly recommend those as a, a little bit of a light hearted reading um, although admittedly some of it's not politically correct so um, yeah, yeah it's of, uh, very much of its time Oh, I, I great. think we try and say kindly. Um, but the main thing I'm reading at the moment is this tome that uh, was sent to me by Doc from the podcast. Oh, yeah. As a present for being a... a, a well, just for being part of the Diddly Dumb team, I think. And oh, it's, bless him. Yeah, it's lovely. It's absolutely beautiful. It's called The Rise and Fall of the Trigon Empire, Volume 1. Uh, which is written by Mike Butterworth and it's beautiful art by a guy called Don Lawrence and it's um, reprints of a strip that was originally published in Look and Learn magazine in the mid to late 60s oh right yeah and it's um, it's very pulpy it's very if you think sort of old Flash Gordon and um, oh yeah 
and the artwork's similar in style to a little bit of the early Dalek Chronicles. You know, mm. from, uh, okay. Do, do you know that, the TV uh, Yeah, magazine? no, I'm not that well-versed with the comics, but I've, I've seen... Are you talking like the old sort of TV21? Those yeah, that's the ones, yeah. 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 yeah, nice. So the artwork's very much like that. It's all beautifully painted and absolutely gorgeously reproduced here. Um, such good quality. I think it's about... I think it's about... It was about 12 quid, apparently, according to uh, huh? Doc. Right. So, um, and it's great. It's these, <laughs> the story of the Trigon Empire, which starts off with a load of guys, basically, who live in tents and ride around <laughs> the countryside on their alien planet um, hunting. And they notice that their neighbours have built bomber jets <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> um so they decide, um, uh, uh, their leader, Trigo, decides that they should build a city, uh, which they seem to do in about a week. <laughs> <laughs> and they managed to steal some of the enemies, that's the locans of the enemies, they managed to steal some of the enemies' fighter jets and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and basically go to war with them. And um, it's about this, him creating this empire which stretches across the planet. And it's got all these... Uh, bizarre little stories and tales of what happens it's usually people trying to take over the trigon empire and mm -hmm. it's got some marvelous stories i think my favorite one is when um uh, there's a moon one of the moons of trigon falls into the sea and out of it comes some <laughs> weird looking men who drive along in mechanical beetles and wherever Magic they eight. go People start going berserk and attacking each other. Oh, and, God. Yeah. So, uh, that sounds cool. Yeah. Um, Pretty out there. Yes, some of it is. Some of it is. Uh, there's another one where um, <laughs> the Locans decide to, uh, to to drug Trigo with these uh, delicious sweetmeats, which um, they manage to get him to eat, except they're addictive and filled with a drug. And basically, it's like he's taking huge industrial quantities of cocaine. He turns into... Oh, he basically turns into Donald Trump. And, uh, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, what a monster. Yeah, and, <laughs> and gets overthrown by his own people. Um, oh, so yeah. there's hope for us yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, there is... If you can't manage the mechanical beetle, uh, which, to be honest, is a bit... It would probably be too many casualties, yeah. So probably just <laughs> go for the uh, drugged sweetmeats. Mm. Well, that certainly sounds like uh, something worth investigating. Is it? Can you get like a preview of the the artwork if you go to someone like Amazon? Because quite often you can open these things up and and see what they look like before you part with your hard earned. Um, I don't know. It's. Um, I'd say the artwork's very sort of. Um, Frank Bellamy inspired, so it's very Dan Dare-like. Oh, okay. If you remember the early, well, Dan if I can Dares. find a link to it somewhere, I'll um, I'll see if I can get it put in the show notes, and then uh, if our listeners are interested, they can click on that and, and check it out for themselves. So thanks for that, Mark. Um, I've got a few recommendations. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, Patrick Troughton story, "The Faceless Ones," has just come out on Blu-ray and DVD as an animated uh, offering, because there's only a couple of episodes still existing it's one of those ones that sadly got binned by the bbc mm -hmm. and uh i think it's 
certainly I think they're gradually getting into their stride with the whole animation thing. Um, I have to say, I uh, really enjoyed the Macrotera one, but that's because I do love yeah. that story anyway. It's always mm-hmm. been one of my favourites, and I thought the animation on that was yeah it was a great improvement on. Um, yeah. They've come a long way since Power of the Daleks. Yeah, I think with Power of the Daleks, they were under an awful lot of pressure because there was a very quick turnaround required. And um, yeah, I think they had to sort of rush it somewhat, whereas mm. now they've had a few stories to really get their teeth into. And I think they're refining that process and you can really see the the improvement as they've gone on. I have to say I skipped the faceless ones, um, unfortunately, oh, okay. due to financial reasons. Um, well, yeah, you know. So uh, with things as they are, you know, we've all got to tighten our belts a bit. Um, although so. um, a, a few days ago, my uh, finally I got my hands on the Blu-ray collection of season twelve of Doctor Who. Oh, nice! Yeah, that's good. So that finally arrived. Although I'd forgotten it was coming. Unfortunately, I'd pre-ordered oh. it on Amazon, and it's completely mm. thrown my budget for the next couple of weeks out of oh, the window. But, oh yeah. well. So it's a nice surprise in one way, but yeah. perhaps not so much in another. <laughs> yeah. It was like, hooray! Oh no, what am I going to eat? <laughs> Just have to survive on tins of beans. Mm. Oh, well. So that's that's one thing. Uh, the other thing, which is a, a big thing for us in the UK, but uh, I think in the US and Australia and elsewhere, you've had this for quite a while. Uh, we finally got Disney Plus over here. So um, I... I'm a sucker for all these kind of streaming services, so I thought I'd sign up for that. And I have been working my way through. Um, you've got the Mandalorian, which is their um, new series, which uh, is based in the Star Wars universe, which is really great. Um, yeah, I have so seen the first a... episode of that. Mm. Uh, oh, and it's uh, I, I ever so pleased to see um, uh, a relative of the of Ig eighty eight turn up in it. Ah, yeah, yeah. No, it's really good. So the first couple of episodes of that are online. Um, and I got into watching um, an animated thing called uh, Star Wars Rebels. Um, and then for one reason or another, I couldn't carry on watching it um, from a few years ago. And that's on it. So I've been catching up with the uh, the episodes I've missed from that. So that's uh, a nice one to come back to. And there's just so much content on there. Uh, it's great for us because we've got a a young child who's six years old, so oh, kind of a bit of something for everyone. So you've got the sort of nature documentaries, you've got the kids' movies, you've got the cartoons and stuff, and there's all the Marvel and oh, Star of course, yes, you well. so all the uh, Marvel on there now, weren't you as well? Yeah, I was. Uh, I got asked to go on a, another podcast uh, we recorded last night, which will probably be out in a week or so um, from when this goes out. Um, We've given them a, a drop their name a couple of times on the show. Um, it's called The Sirens of Audio, uh, which is a big Finnish podcast with uh, with Dwayne over in Australia. And that was a, a lot of fun recording that. And uh, I've mentioned to him that I've been working my way through the Marvel movies because I think I'm the last person in the entire universe to have seen <laughs> Age of Ultron. I think oh, everyone wow. has seen it. So I am way behind on those. Is that so what, what you're up to? to play catch up. Yeah, so uh, that's that's next on the list, um, and I'll be gradually working my way through those to try and get up to speed. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm quite a way behind. Oh, you've got some real treats to come up though. So yeah, that's that's where I've been. Any spare bit of time I've been investing in watching that. 
Oh, I recently caught up on um, Stranger Things, actually. Oh, so, I love that program. So do I. Um, mm-hmm. It's, uh, I have to say, it's <laughs> it's odd watching them grow older, though, especially in the third series. Um, <laughs> but I, having said that, and um, they, they kind of split the, the normal gang up, don't they, in the third series. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I don't yeah. think I'm going to like this. But, oh, God, what's the kid's name who's with Steve and Robin? Dustin, of course. Yeah, so they split the old gang up, which I wasn't sure I was going to like. But I have to say, I really do enjoy the team up of Dustin and Steve, who um, yeah, who was such a Steve who I hated for most of the series one, obviously, mm, and yeah. Um, and yeah, he's become such a great character. Well, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm delighted to be invited. Thank you very much. If you want to get in touch you can email us at nerdologyuk at gmail.com or you can tweet us at nerdologyuk we're also on facebook just type in nerdology uk podcast and also now you can leave your audio feedback so there's a link in the show notes you can click on that or uh, if you're on the anchor website listening to the show there is a little button that says message and you just click on that and you can use your mobile phone or your computer and you can leave an audio message.